which illuminates the heart of every man, woman, and child. We are thankful that we can be together here to learn, to grow together. We are so thankful that not only do we have the light in our hearts, but we have been challenged, we have been commissioned to share the light with those around us. I pray that we would be that. I pray that Mossbrook Church would be a light in this community, that others would know of you, not for our sakes and not for our name, but because we are here living the way that you have called us to live. So, Father, be glorified here today, and please speak to us through your word. Make it clear to us. May your Holy Spirit have free reign in our hearts, that through the scripture we would know the truth and apply it to our hearts. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. My favorite part, I don't know if everybody has a favorite part or not, but I do. My favorite part of Christmas decorations are the lights. I know, I'm not just saying that because we've been talking about light for four weeks and I was desperate to figure out how to start this message. So I should say I, my favorite is the light. No, it, it actually is, my favorite part is the lights. The tree is great. Wreaths and garlands are very festive. And all the other decorations are wonderful, but I love the lights. Now, if you come to our house, you wouldn't see you, or you would see that we don't really do much outside. And that's my fault, because I hate putting stuff up outside. And Melody wanted us to do that, and we did that for a few years until I guess I got too crotchety to deal with about it. And So she just gave up. She just concentrates on the inside. So you wouldn't see much on the outside, but if you drive up our hill to our driveway, to our house at night or any time after 3.30 at this time of year, you would see candles in the windows. Every window in our, we have a lot of windows in our house, every window has a candle. And I love driving up the hill to turn into our driveway and I see all the candles in the windows. And then as I pull into the driveway, I can see through the dining room window and the banister on the staircase leading to our upstairs is wrapped with garland and there are more lights and I can see them through the dining room window. And then when I come into the house and I I take my boots and my coat off and I walk into the kitchen on the top of the cabinets, there's more garland and decorations and pine cones and they have all got lights in them. And every year, Melody orders 10 or 15 or 20 more little battery-operated candles and they're everywhere in the house, on the kitchen counter and, and on the dining room table and on the little sleigh in the corner in the dining room and in the living room on the on the end tables, and they're all over the place. And I love walking through our house with all the other lights off, but just those candles on, or going downstairs into our family room where the tree is and turning off all the lights and just sitting there with the tree and and enjoying the lights. We celebrate Christmas with light. Now, you may not have that many lights at your house, or you may have five times as many lights, but... That's a common thing for us at Christmas time in our culture to celebrate Christmas with lights. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and and his coming to earth. And that's what we've been talking about here the last three or four weeks in our services from John chapter 1. John describes Jesus Christ as the light. And last week, if you were here with us, Tim talked about the fact that he was the true light. 
There are a lot of counterfeit lights in our world. A lot of things that would seek to dry your attention, sparkly things, shiny things. But only Jesus is the true light. In fact, when Jesus described himself in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I'm the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we've been talking about the fact that he is the light of truth and the hope of the world, and that his presence displays, or dispels rather, the darkness. The passage in John chapter 1 that we're going to look at today as we end our, our series in John 1 talks to us about how Jesus Christ became the light of the world and why that matters. Hopefully, whenever you come here and, and we open God's word to you, not only are we telling you what it has to say, but also why it matters. We need to learn, we need to know the truth, and then we need to put it into action in our hearts and lives. And this morning we're going to talk about why the light of the world coming to this earth changed everything. And so this morning, if you would, kind of join me in this process over the next few minutes. I want you to be thinking about this, that Jesus Christ, the light, God himself, walked this earth to transform our lives. Jesus Christ, the light, God himself, walked this earth to transform our lives. Now, if you have your Bible with you, join me in John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 14 to 18. If you don't have your Bible shame on you, and it's up on the screen, okay? And here's what we're going to do, because, see, there are two optimal temperatures. One is the temperature you want to be at when you come here to church and you sit in the seat. That's the temperature it is in here right now, 80 degrees. That's what it feels like to me. But the optimal temperature for me, for you to be enjoying, while I'm up here trying to speak, is about 65, because I don't want you to fall asleep. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something we don't often do, and I'm not doing it as a gimmick, and I'm not doing it as a joke. I think it's important for us to do, and I love it when we do it. We're going to read this passage together, okay? So it's up on the screen. It's in the ESV on the screen. If you want to read it with whatever version you have in the seats, you can do that too. But we're going to read it together, and I'll try not to screw up any words or alter the pace so that you get lost, okay? But we're going to read John 1, 14 to 18. Here we go. Let's read it together. And, oh, by the way, that includes all you guys in number two and all you guys in number three and all you guys at home too, okay? Let's read it all together. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of who I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. 
So how, how did the light come into the world? How did Jesus Christ come into the world? Well, if you've ever taken any of those theology classes with me or any of the other ones, I will always say when I ask a question, because usually everybody in the class, the teenagers are actually good. I'm doing Theology 202 with the teens. They're pretty responsive. They put some of you adults to shame. But usually when I ask a question and everybody just stares blankly at me like I'm an alien, I say, look at the verse. So how did the light come into the world? Look at the verse. What does it say? It says, the word became flesh. How did we get the light? How did we get the light of the world? How did we come to know the true light? The word became flesh. Now, three weeks ago, I know it's a long ways back, 21 days ago, we talked about John 1.1, where John said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And we talked about the Word, Word, Logos. That's Jesus. And so John says here, Logos, Jesus, who is God himself, became flesh. He became fully human while remaining fully God. Jesus did not become less God when he came to earth. Now that's a great mystery. How did God, how did Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, still be full? How was he still fully God and fully human at the same time? That is a great mystery. And one that we talk about in Theology 202 and 303. So come join us in a couple of weeks and we'll talk about it. It's a mystery, but we know that it's true. Why? Because the Bible tells us that it is true. Fully God, fully human, he walked this earth as a man. Now, we won't break down all the theological ramifications of that this morning, but what I want you to notice is a couple of things. And first of all, it's this. To me, this speaks of God's compassion for us. His love for us. That he took on flesh. He became a human being. Now you have to remember, what does the Bible tell us about Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus is in heaven. He is God. That's where he dwells. In all of his glory. With the Father and with the Holy Spirit. The Trinity dwells together in unity. And so you might imagine that coming to earth, becoming a human, would be a tremendous to say the least, step down for Jesus. When Paul describes it in Philippians 2, what does he say? He says, he humbled himself. Yeah, I'll say. He humbled himself and became a man, became a servant even. And I want you to notice here that John tells us not only did the word become flesh, but he dwelt among us. He not only became flesh, he not only became a human being, not only stepped out of glory and came to this earth, but he, he dwelled among us. Jesus didn't come to this earth for an hour, for a day, for a week. He dwelled here. He lived here with us for decades. As carefully as we can know from the information that we have, Jesus walked this earth for 30-some years. 
and he experienced all of the fullness of human life. Now, often we might wonder, well, why did Jesus come as a baby? I mean, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? I don't know if you guys do this at your house. We do this at our house every year. We did it uh, yesterday morning. We sit down before we open our presents together, and we open God's Word, and we read Luke 2. We read the story of Christ coming to earth. Why did Christ come to earth as a baby? Why didn't he just come as a full-grown man so that he could start teaching and, and telling everyone what it is that he wanted them to know and what it is that he wanted them to do? I think it's at least in part because he experienced all of the fullness of human life that we do. And he knows what we go through came to earth as a baby. He knows what it's like to be a young child. He knows what it's like to be a teenager and struggle with all the questions and awkwardness of teenage life. He knows what it means to be an adult as well. He experienced all the fullness of human life. He came and dwelled among us. Why does this matter? Why does it matter how the light came to the earth? Well, I want you to think about this. God did not look down from heaven to the world and see great darkness and see great sorrow and see all this human need and just beam down the light from heaven. He didn't see everything that was going on in this world and just send a package with instructions for a better life. And he didn't commission some third party to bring us the message for him. Jesus Christ himself, God, came and lived among us. He was the light. His presence brought the light. And I want you to understand this morning and see the intimacy and the passion with which God loves us. And we've all experienced this over the last couple of years. We've all heard people who are in power and in authority in our culture and our country and our society and all over the world say, you should not gather. You should not be together. We need to stay separate because of all of this that's going on. And oh, by the way, just flip on your iPhone or your iPad or your tablet or whatever and just FaceTime and video chat with everybody. It's just as good as being together. How many people believe that doing that is just as good as being together? It's not. It's not even a fraction as good. I've talked to my parents a hundred times in the last two years. I've video chatted with them. I've seen pictures of them. But Thursday they came here to my house for the first time in two years. So I could see them. So I could hug them. So I could talk to them. So I could fellowship with them. And I want to tell you what, it's an awful lot different than just looking at a picture or talking on the phone. And that's what Jesus did for us. He didn't just send a note. He didn't beam down the light. He came to us. He walked with us. What does that tell you? It tells us that he loves us. Folks, I know what it's like to live life on this earth. I've lived it for 51 years. And I know that there are a lot of days when it's not enjoyable. 
I know there's a lot of days when it's incredibly difficult. And there's a lot of days for us, even as Christ followers, when we say, where is God? Why doesn't he love us? Why is he letting this happen? Why can't I see my parents for two years? Why can't I go do this? Why do I struggle with this illness? Why is my relationship falling apart? Why do my children not want to speak to me? I know we struggle with all of these things. And when we do, we start to question, does God really love me? If you ever question the love of God for you, what I want you to do is look at what he did. He became flesh. And he lived with us. So that we might know the light. We have to remind ourselves of what he has done for us. We talked for a year and a half about the whole story started in Genesis, ended in Revelation in the middle of November. God has purposed to glorify himself and display his grace by redeeming people. Now, God is, well, he's God. He has authority over this whole world. He's the creator of this whole world. He can do as he pleases, and he does do as he pleases. And what does he please to do? To come here to this earth to redeem us. That's his pleasure. That's how the light came into the world. But I want you to notice here just in these last two or three verses that we're going to look at this morning what we receive when we see the light of the world. See, the light comes and, and we see him. We need to see him. We need to look at him. And I want you to note four things here. I'm going to go through these four things. If you want to jot them down, you can. Or if you have a memory better than mine, you can just remember them and think about them later. Here's the first one. When we see the light of the world, we receive a vision of the worth of God. We receive a vision of the worth of God. Also, still in verse 14, he says, And we have seen his glory. What does that mean? We have seen his glory. The word seen literally means to observe, to contemplate, to, to concentrate on. But we have seen his glory. What, what is the glory of God? Well, without spending 20 minutes trying to explain it, the best I can explain to you is that God's glory refers to that which shows his worth. That which shows his worth, his value. Perhaps I can explain it better this way in 1 John chapter 3. The Apostle John, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John that we're looking at, in 1 John 3, John says that there will come a day when we stand before God... 1 John chapter 3, he says, we will see him as he is. Clearly, there's a lot of profound stuff in the Bible, and it's all very important. But I want to tell you, those three little words blow my mind. We will see God as he is. What does that mean? 
it means that on that day, somehow, we will finally be able to understand, to contemplate the greatness of God, the power of God, the majesty of God, the mercy of God, the holiness of God, in a way that we just simply cannot right now. We'll see him as he is. Uh, no one has seen God. That's what we're going to see just in a minute at the end of this passage. No one has, has really seen God. But in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was given just this briefest of visions of God. He, he looked into heaven. God gave him a window into heaven. And he saw this, this throne high and lifted up. And God was seated on the throne. And, and his glory filled the temple. And there were angels flying. And they covered their eyes. And they covered their faces. And they covered their feet. And they were saying, holy, holy, holy. And even just this one little glimpse of God. Do you know what Isaiah did? If you know the passage, you know what he did? He just fell on his face. And he said, God, I'm not worthy to even look at you. That was just a tiniest glimpse of the glory of God. Revelation 22 says that when we are in heaven, when we stand before God, it says he will be our God and we will be his people again in a way that we can only imagine right now. You know what John says? Again, John wrote that one too, right? Revelation. What does John say? He says, The glory of God is so great, we don't need the sun. We don't even need the sun. When Jesus walked this earth, we got a glimpse. We got a glimpse of the glory of God. We got a glimpse of the worth and the majesty and the power of God. As he walked through the dusty streets of Galilee and Capernaum and he healed the sick and he raised the dead, what was everyone asking? Who is this? When he opened his mouth and taught, what did they say? <laughs> this guy is no scribe. I mean, he is teaching. Do you remember what it says? He's teaching with an authority that we have never seen before. What was that? That was a glimpse of the worth of God, the glory of God. It's interesting that in Matthew 11, Tim, Tim talked to us about John the Baptist a couple weeks ago. In Matthew 11, when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, he said, there is no one born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. But when John the Baptist talked about himself in comparison with Jesus, do you know what he said? He said, I'm not even worthy to touch the strap on his sandal. The demons trembled when Jesus spoke to them. The wise of the world were silenced when he spoke. And when we truly see 
the light of the world, Jesus for who he is, we get a vision. We get a glimpse of the worth of God. Here's the second one. Second thing we receive, when we truly see the light of the world, we receive an example of how to live. Still in verse 14, John says, he was full of grace and truth. We could speak for a half hour, 45 minutes just on that phrase. We won't, but we could. Gavin's at the back. He has a key. I could get him to lock the doors, and I could make you listen to me talk for 45 minutes about it. But I am full of grace and truth, so I won't do that. Not full of it. I, have, I am full of it. I have a little bit of grace and a little bit of truth and a lot of other things. Not only was Jesus unique in his essence because he was fully God and fully man, but, but Jesus was unique in his character too. Because he had this wonderful, perfect balance of grace and truth. Now, I don't know if you have ever thought of this or, or how much, we don't really talk about it. But when God determined that he would send an emissary to this world, he would have been totally justified in sending a judge, correct? Nod your head if you agree with me. Okay, three of us agree. The rest of you will be convinced in the next 30 seconds. For thousands of years, what had mankind been doing? Sinning, 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 disobeying. What did God do? He created this perfect, beautiful, sinless place. He put Adam and Eve in it. He said, this is yours. Take care of it. Use it. Enjoy it. Just don't touch that one. And of course, what did they do? They didn't just, they, they took it. They ate it. Actually, God said, don't, don't eat of it. They ate of it. And from then on, I mean, we just go five chapters, six chapters deep into Genesis. We get to Noah, Genesis 6. How does the Bible describe the world when Noah was walking the earth? It says, every thought of mankind was only evil continually. <laughs> That's how they digress from this beautiful place to the pit. So God could have sent a judge. I'm going to judge this world. In fact, he could have sent an executioner. I'm going to wipe this world out. But he didn't. He sent his son who was full of grace. Jesus Christ is, is the full expression of God's grace. Not a grace which merely overlooks sin and evil, but a grace which would take our place on the cross and satisfy the justice of a holy God. Not only was he gracious, but he was truthful true to his character and true to the reality of sin and death, true to the standards that God had given mankind so long before. And of course, we receive, when we look at the light, when we look at Jesus, we receive an example of how to live. That's how we are to live as well. We need to be gracious. Folks, we need to be gracious with each other. Gracious to those who are around us that we rub shoulders with and bump into every day. We need to be truthful as well. 
patient and loving and kind, yet never compromising the truth of the gospel, and the need for those who are far from God to truly repent. We need to be full of grace and truth. Here's a third thing that we receive when we really, truly look at the light of the world. We receive continuing, abundant grace. Let me read verse 16 for you again. It says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now the word fullness there literally means completeness. What did he say about Jesus? He's what? Full of grace and truth. And from his fullness... Because of the fact that Jesus Christ is this wonderful, unique, absolutely perfect, magnificent blend of grace and truth, from that completeness, we receive grace upon grace. We sang that new song this morning. We're going to sing it again in a few minutes. Grace on top of grace. When you look at this phrase in the original language in the Greek, The word between those two words, grace, grace, and then the word, and then grace. The Greek word is anti, A-N-T-I, anti. And it literally means grace instead of grace. Uh, Okay, what? Grace instead of grace? God gives us grace and then he takes it away? I mean, how does that work? Maybe a better way to understand it is this way. Grace in the place of grace. Let me explain. In September, Melody and Gavin and I had a chance to go down to Ernie and Jessica's campground down in Biddeford. Stayed there for a few days. It was beautiful. They're right close to the ocean. We went down to the ocean. And how many of you enjoy swimming in the ocean in Maine in September? Yeah, Gavin does. Gavin got in for about an hour. I was like five minutes and I was, I was done. But we were sitting on the beach there and there was one real windy day. In fact, there were surfers out all over the place. It was kind of fun watching them. But we were sitting in our camp chairs and we're sitting on the beach. And I, I love doing this. Just listening to the waves. You ever done that? Sat on the beach, listening to the waves. Tasha's done it. I know she loves the ocean too. It rolls in, and then a few seconds later, what happens? Over and over. And if you're standing there watching it, you're thinking, okay, here comes the water. And then it kind of starts to disappear. But just as it starts to disappear, what happens? More water. More water. And it does that constantly, hour after hour, day after day, every day of the year, one wave after another. Now in November, we went to Naples, Florida. I was able to spend a little bit more time in the water there than I did in September in Biddeford. But same thing. Because it's 100 degrees in here, I have to take a drink because my throat is so dry. I've been drinking it, and it's about two-thirds empty right now. Grace. In the place of grace. 
as I drink this bottle of water, it would be like if Mandy stood up as soon as I took a drink and gave me another full one. As soon as I took a sip, Joellen gave me another full one. As soon as I took a sip, Catherine gave me another full one. It doesn't mean that God takes grace away. It means that even as it even begins to become emptied, it's replenished. From the fullness of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, his complete and perfect grace, we receive grace on top of grace. Grace instead of grace, just when I start walking through my life and, and dealing with the pain or the difficulty or whatever that I'm, that I'm walking through right now, just as I begin to experience God's grace and I think, how am I going to get to the next day or maybe th the next moment? What happens? Grace on top of grace. Grace instead of grace. So that the effect is, it is never depleted. before you could ever possibly exhaust the supply of grace that Jesus Christ provides to you to live your life, it is replenished. More grace. New grace. I don't know if this is really what happens, but this is what I picture in my life. I picture walking through my day, walking through, facing whatever I have to face. And I picture the Lord Jesus alongside of me saying something like, what do you got there? Grace? Here's some more. What do you need? Grace? Here it is. What are you doing? Using grace? Here's some more. Do you need more grace? Here it is. Grace on top of grace. In fact, isn't that exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? And what did he do? He, he went to the Lord and he begged God, please don't make me go through this any longer. And what did God say to Paul? Oh, well, let me just take that out of the way for you. No, that's not what he said. Do you remember what he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? He said, Paul, I'm not going to take it away, but here's what I'm going to tell you. My grace is sufficient. I'm not going to take it away, Paul, but I'm going to give you enough grace so that you can walk through it. When I look at my life, there's a lot of times, I'm guessing that might be true for you sometimes as well. When I look at my life, there's a lot of times when God and I have a conversation that goes something like this. God, it would be a lot better for me if I didn't have to deal with this. It would be a lot better for me if I didn't have to handle this, if I didn't have to walk through it, if I didn't have to struggle through it or suffer through it. And God returns to me often and says, Oh, sorry, Mike, you're wrong again. It, in fact, would be better if you walk through it and experience my grace while you do than for me to take it away. Because of Christ's continual replenishment of grace in our lives, not only do we have the strength to stand and to persevere, but then we can also be conduits of God's grace to other people. We can live generously with other people in our lives because we have grace to live. I can give grace because I receive grace.
Here's number four. We need to wrap up here. But here's the fourth thing we see. If we get a clear view of the light of the world, Jesus, we receive intimate knowledge of God. Verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, that is Jesus, has made him known. No one has ever completely seen God. We talked about that a little bit with Isaiah. Moses, if you read in Exodus, had a, had a glimpse of the glory of God, but not a full view of the glory of God. And the only one, John is saying here, who can truly reveal God's character is Christ. He lived the character of God before us. He made him known to us, he says. That is, he unfolded it. He declared it. He explained it to us. Through Jesus, we can know God. That's what Paul means in Colossians 2 when he says, For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We can have this intimate knowledge of God because we see Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the light, God himself, walked this earth to transform your life. See, Satan's objective is to darken this world. It's, it's to bury us in the darkness. It's to, to draw us away from the truth. But Christ came to bring that light, to drive away darkness, to drive away evil, to, to, to banish pain and sorrow and suffering and grief. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says it this way. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see, what does he say? The light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And as we read a few weeks ago, the darkness cannot overcome it. If you're drowning in darkness, you need to look to the light of the world who is Jesus. He displays to us the glory of God. He lights the way to God. He is the way to God. He even said to himself, or said of himself rather. Now for those of us that are Christ followers, when you look at Jesus Christ, you see a vision of his matchless worth, you see how to live, you receive continual grace for each day, and you have an intimate knowledge of God, or you have the ability to have an intimate knowledge of God, my question to you is this. What are you doing with these priceless resources that God has given you? What are you doing with them? Do you treasure Him? Do you have any understanding of the worth and the glory of God? In this dark world, are you reflecting his light to others by the way that you live? Is there anybody that looks at you and sees God because of how you live your life? Are you living generously because of Christ's grace to you with other people? Do you thirst for a deeper knowledge of God? We have these these wonderful gifts. We, all, we opened gifts yesterday, and if your house was like mine, then you had to take a garbage bag and pick up all the wrapping paper and the boxes. We have all these gifts 
These are gifts. These are the most important gifts that God has given to us. What are you doing with them? See, even as Christ followers, we think about Christ as the light of the world, and we think about the gospel, think about the fact that people need Christ, and they certainly do, and that is our mission. But to those of us who are Christ followers, it is easy to sit in the light of Jesus Christ and just work on our tan instead of going out into the darkness and doing battle in this world for the souls of people who are far from God. He gives us these things and he asks us to use them. He gives us grace on top of grace. We're going to stand this morning. Would you stand with us and sing our new song together as we close this morning? Be together today and we thank you for your grace shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The light that changes our lives. I pray that each one of us would receive these gifts and take them and use them in our lives to care for those around us, to, to draw closer to you and to share Christ with those who need it. Thank you for grace on top of grace, instead of grace, along with the grace that we already have every moment of every day. Father, walk with us through this world that we might reflect your light to this community. In Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming, folks. Enjoy your week.